been with us for the past few weeks. We've started a series called Following the Master, and we want to continue that today. Following the Master, a study of biblical discipleship. Tentatively, we have two lessons in that series left, okay? This week and next week. Next week is communion, and then we would do the picnic after that and maybe start something fresh after the picnic. But we have two lessons left in this series, and we're going to call today's lesson, What Would Jesus Do? What Would Jesus Do? Did someone ever have to train you to do something properly? Did you ever have to get trained on the job, trained for something? There's been at least two times in my life where I had to get trained to do a job, but no one trained me. And I've mentioned those stories before. I'm not going to rehash those. But uh, I started a job, and there was no one to train me, so I basically had to learn on my own. And you can imagine how that goes. Um, Kind of a herky-jerky, messy process. But Training is important so you know properly how to do what you need to do. If you guys remember starting a job, typically someone sits down with you and says, here's what you need to do. This is what it's going to look like. This is the person that did it before you. Here's what they did. And that's really important. And I thought about an illustration for what I could share with you today. And I want to help train you guys, okay? One of the questions I get most often is, I don't know how you do public speaking. Public speaking is terrifying for most people, right? If I would say to you, what's your greatest fear? Probably public speaking would be in the top three. I've heard before that uh, even scares people more than death, which is a little shocking. I don't know why you'd rather die than public speak, but it's not that bad. Anyways, so I came up with 10 things, 10 things to help you conquer your public speaking fear. Okay, 10 ways to defeat your fear of public speaking. And you can tell if these are jokes or not. We'll see. Uh, Number one, think about a worse fear the entire time you're doing it, like being buried alive with a snake. And suddenly public speaking won't seem so bad. I do that every time I preach. I picture myself trapped in a coffin with a snake. No, I don't. That's weird. No. Number two, how to to conquer your fear of public speaking. Hold your breath for 90 seconds before you come up, and then you'll just be thankful to breathe, and you'll be fine after that. Just changes your perspective. Uh, number three, while you're speaking, picture the entire audience. No, I can't say that. I can't say that from the pulpit. Dress the entire you right now as elves and fairies, and I feel incredibly confident now. These are little tricks I use. Number four, every time you're tempted to say the word um, just say umbrella. And the audience will think it's on purpose. So there's a little tip for you. Umbrella. It'll seem weird, but they'll think you did it on purpose. There's a little tip for you. Number five, if you feel your hands starting to shake, just yell, earthquake! And no one will question your shaking hands. It's part of the earthquake. Uh, Number six, if your voice starts cracking, start fiddling with the microphone like I did earlier, and then motion to the tech booth and say, yeah, it's doing it again. Just blame the mic. I do that all the time. Uh, Number seven, way to defeat your fear of public speaking. If you forget what you were about to say, just ask for a moment of silence for the endangered dolphins. And while while the people are quiet, collect your thoughts or just walk off on stage and act like it's over. That's a good idea. If you spit while you're talking, just look up and say, wow, broken sprinkler. And then if you need to say the word um, just say, umbrellas would be useful right now. And then, like, the audience will laugh, and you'll be fine. Uh, Number nine, if you feel like you're speaking too fast, 
Just say, try to keep up, everybody. This isn't kindergarten, and you'll be fine. And the number 10 thing, a way to defeat your fear of public speaking, is if someone asks you afterward if you were nervous while you did that, say, yes, I was. I was nervous. You were too simple to understand what I was saying, and you'll be fine. 10 ways to defeat your fear of public speaking. You guys can have that. That's yours. Use it. Conquer your fear. I expect everyone now to become a public speaker after that. That's brilliant. Anyways, did you ever have to get trained to do something that otherwise you wouldn't know? Today we're going to get trained to do something, and we're calling our lesson, What Would Jesus Do? And we're going to be in 1 John as our main passage. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. And if you remember, this is a book that we went through not too long ago, so I'm hoping this sounds familiar. And remember last week's lesson, because last week's lesson was, again, kind of part one of this, where we talked about Jesus says, and this passage brings that up again. So follow me in 1 John 2 as we look at verses 3 to 6. John says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What would Jesus do? Perhaps you guys remember the bracelets people wore several years ago. Remember those WWJD bracelets? Anyone remember those bracelets? We're probably dating ourselves because that was probably like 25, 30 years ago that those bracelets were popular. But the goal of those bracelets was honorable. It was to help Christ followers remember to act like Jesus in all circumstances by simply asking the question, what would Jesus do? That was the goal of those bracelets. We might be wondering today, if Jesus was alive here on the earth in 2020, what would Jesus do, right? That's an interesting question to think about. What would be his stance on masks? Would he stand with the police? Would he stand against the police? There'd be a lot of questions we would ask Jesus if he was alive here today. Those bracelets sort of gained a cult following in our culture, and over time, I think people forgot maybe what those initials were meant to be about. And I think there's probably a bunch of people that never knew what they were to be about. They just saw other people wearing them. And you know how things are. You know how fads start. People just jump on board. And I used to see athletes wear them all the time. And I think, honestly, I think I heard one athlete thought it meant, what would Jordan do? Michael Jordan. I I honestly think he thought that's what it meant. What would Jordan do? But no, the WWJD is what would Jesus do? And the concept of what would Jesus do actually comes from Scripture. It actually predates the bracelets by thousands of years. In fact, in a sermon by Charles Spurgeon in the late 1800s, he actually titled one of his lessons, What Would Jesus Do? And as we just mentioned from 1 John 2, this this comes up. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. As his followers, we need to discover why it's important to learn what Jesus did and what Jesus would do in the circumstances of life. So we can follow suit. In other words, we need to let Jesus train us. He needs to train us how to live the Christian life, and we need to pay very close attention to how he lived. Has anyone ever gone skydiving before? Skydiving, anyone? Nobody. Paul Paul has gone skydiving. Anyone want to go skydiving? Really? Okay. I won't be, I won't be there with you. Luke, you want to go skydiving? Okay. 
Although I've never been, and you'll have to fact check me here, Paul. I'm assuming that when you go skydiving, there's some sort of training. Okay, that just seems obvious. I can imagine they don't just fly you up in the plane and toss you out. <laughs> there's got to be some sort of training there. And I can imagine if I was there, I would be terrified of that first and foremost. But if I was going to go skydiving, I think that would probably be pretty important to listen to. Yay or nay? To listen to the trainer, what he's going to say, how he's going to say it, what he's going to do himself. I think for most skydivers, they actually go with you the first time. So you're actually strapped to some guy while you go down. But I think when you go skydiving, it's pretty important to listen to because your life is at stake. It's not like, ah, whatever, I'll just figure it out when I get up there. No, you won't. You might die. <laughs> so skydiving would be important to listen to the trainer, to hear them, because of the consequence of not paying attention to that. You see, Jesus, he's our trainer. This job that we're talking about today, being a Christian, he invented. Jesus invented the job. He knows everything about the job, every detail, every trap, every pitfall, every truth. He knows everything, and he's going to train us about how to be and live like a Christian. And you could tell in this First John passage, there's a perfect connection between what Jesus said, like last week's lesson, and what Jesus did. Okay, John says that we can have proof that we know Jesus. Here's the proof. Number one, like last week's lesson, by keeping his commandments. And then as we're going to talk about today, by number two, walking the same way in which he walked. Number one, keeping his commandments. And number two, walking in the same way in which Jesus walked. Now last week we already looked at how important it is to do as Jesus says. But I want you to notice it one more time because it comes up right here in 1 John 2 again. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And by this we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We are reminded so many times in scripture how important his commandments are. In other words, it's God saying, don't miss this. When something has gone over so many times in scripture, it's emphasis. He's making sure that if we hear something, it's the really important things. And the commandments are one of those things. But I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that keeping Jesus' commandments is how we get a relationship with Jesus. That's not what it says, does it? It doesn't say keeping his commandments is how we become saved. It doesn't say that either. Scripture is crystal clear that we are saved by the grace of God through simple faith in Jesus. Okay, And John is not undoing those blessed doctrines at all. He's simply stating once again that we have proof that we are children of God by doing what Jesus says. That's our proof. If we do what Jesus says, we know that we are a Christian. And if we don't, it brings that into question. So whoever claims to know Jesus without obeying his commandments, John says his words is a liar. Think about that. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible to know Jesus and not obey Jesus. The two was always be in harmony, knowing and obeying, knowing and obeying. To know and to not obey, it doesn't work. So imagine, this is a really silly illustration, imagine if someone said they knew me, okay, I know Todd, but they didn't know I was Caucasian. I mean, is that possible to know Todd and not know he's Caucasian? 
Seems impossible, right? And that's the best thing I could think of. And John is saying, listen, you can't say you know Jesus if you don't know and keep his commandments. Jesus mentioned so many times how important this is to know and keep his commandments. And now John brings up a sort of different statement of truth, that if we claim to abide in Jesus, or we could say follow Jesus, then we must walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, and it's not referring to the actual motion of walking that Jesus made. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about what, how Jesus acted and what Jesus did with his time, his talents, and his energy. John says that if we claim to follow Jesus, then our lives need to look very similar to his. Does yours? Is your life looking like Jesus? Because that's the point. We must follow the leader. Whatever he says, whatever he does, we follow suit. You guys ever followed someone driving? Again, these are silly questions because you all have at some point. You followed someone on the road because you didn't know where you were going. Now, maybe with GPS, we don't need that as much, but I can sort of tell, and maybe you guys can, when someone's on the road following someone else. You ever see that? Because they do the exact same motions. Someone will get over, and they'll get over. Someone will speed up, and they'll speed up. They'll slow down, they slow down. They'll put on their turn signal, and the person behind them will put on their turn signal. And you can kind of tell when someone's following someone else. And uh, when someone's following me, I always try to make it a challenge. I always try to speed up and get off real quick. And No, I don't. But you guys know what that's like, right? I mean, they're making the exact same movements because they don't know where they're going. And the person in front of them is showing them where to go. And if they don't follow behind them, they're going to get lost. I wonder how many people in your life would claim to be Christians. How many people that you know that are friends and family members claim to be Christians? If it's anything like me, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. A lot of people in my life, friends, family, acquaintances, people I went to school with, would most of all, 95, 90, more than that, would assume that they're Christian based on the way that they tell me they're Christian. But I want you to wonder how many people in your life actually resemble the Lord Jesus in the way they live, the way they act, and the way they speak. Is the number the same? Is the number the same between how many people claim to be Christian and how many people' lives look like Jesus, resemble Jesus? Is it even close to the same? And I'm not asking you to judge anybody. I'm just saying take a cursory glance at their life and ask the question, do they look like Jesus? And then ask the question of yourself, do I? Do I look like Jesus? Do I act like Jesus? I say I'm a Christian, but how do I live? How do I speak? And how do I act? Is it like my Lord did? See, this is a different statement from John than last week's lesson, but we need to remember that what Jesus did and what Jesus commanded us to do is the same thing. What Jesus did and what he commanded us to do It's the same. Jesus never commands us to do something he was unwilling or unable to do himself. Okay, Jesus wouldn't say, obey these things, and then you look at his life and he never did. Whatever Jesus commands, you can look at his life and you can find him doing that as well. And for me, that's a good thing. Because I can see consistency. So if Jesus commanded it, you can bank on it that Jesus himself lived that way as well. Guys, the commandments, as we mentioned last week, there are GPS directions to heaven, okay? That's our GPS. That's our directions. Jesus is telling us, if you want to follow me, here's what to do. Here's where to go. Here's the kind of things to avoid. Do these things. 
And the interesting thing about it is they were also his directions. Jesus used the exact same commandments from God as his directions. He followed those directions to the T, and now he's ascended next to the Father. And so he's telling us, follow me. Do exactly as I do. Do exactly as I say. Don't waver. If we understand that, then not only must we pay close attention to what he says and commanded us to do, but we also must pay attention to how Jesus lived and how he acted while upon the earth. You see, watching Jesus is crucial. Just like you would if you were going to go skydiving, you would make sure to watch the trainer. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? I'm going to do the exact thing he does because I don't want to endanger my life. We have to study Jesus. Study him closely, as close as we can, because he is the one directing us to the kingdom of God. How did he live? How did he act? How did he speak? How did he spend his time? Because I have to do that as well. Pay very close attention. So this is going to be a very important study, but I have to admit this is going to be a sort of insufficient study because God gave us four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those Gospels were recorded for us to give us an extensive and precise picture into how Jesus taught and lived his life. And we don't have the time or the ability to put all of that into one lesson, okay? I can't take the four Gospels and put it into one lesson and give you everything you need today. That's not possible. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to show you how we must live as Jesus lived, as well as encourage us all to put in the work necessary to find out precisely how Jesus lived. This means you have to discipline yourself to study the Gospels. You do, and I do. Investigating Jesus' life is a treasure hunt of godly wisdom. You have to discipline yourself to stay near Jesus. To begin today, we need to understand that the Christian life demands everything of us. And we've said that before, but I need to reiterate that, that the Christian life demands everything from us in order to live the way that Jesus expects us to live. Guys, if we want to be fed from Christ once a week and then expect to know what he did and how he lived, we're fooling ourselves. If we think one little sermon, one little message a week is enough to learn how Jesus taught and how Jesus lived, we're fooling ourselves. There is no thing real thing called Sunday Christianity. It doesn't exist. It's a farce. It's nowhere in Scripture. The Word of God says things like this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Meditate day and night. Abound in thanksgiving. Meaning, Christianity is your entire life. If you give your life to Jesus, you give him your entire life. We're either all in or we're all out, according to Jesus. So we need constant, persistent time around the truth. Things like church family time and Bible studies and prayer sessions. Togetherness. We have to have it. If we don't have it, we're not going to know. We're not going to stay tethered. We're not going to follow the leader. And if we don't follow the leader, now we're endangering our spiritual life forever. And you could take my word for it, but listen, listen to Luke 9. This is where Jesus says this very thing. In Luke 9, 23 to 27, Jesus said this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life, he'll lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Before we learn practically how to live according to the way Jesus taught us, we have to grasp this one fact. Following Jesus demands our everything. According to Jesus, not according to me. Following Jesus demands our everything. I want you to imagine, and we've brought this up before too, but this is a good illustration. I want you to imagine if we wanted to scale Mount Everest. We're being very um, adventurous today. We're going skydiving. We're (laughs) scaling Mount Everest. We're public speaking. But I want you to imagine if we wanted to scale Mount Everest. What a lofty thing to try there. Do you think we could be lukewarm, indifferent in our planning and scaling of Mount Everest and expect to succeed? Could we, could we be apathetic, ho-hum, do it on a whim, and expect to climb to the summit of Mount Everest? Guys, and many mountain expert climbers have died on their way up to the summit of Mount Everest. And those climbers have exhaustively planned and thought and trained to climb to the summit of Everest. Do you think you and I, on a whim, could decide to scale Mount Everest and succeed? If professional, expert mountain climbers who have done everything possible die on their way up? And the answer is absolutely not. I can't, on a whim, decide to climb Mount Everest and get to the top. I would die. You would die. But let's ask it this way. Do you think we could give the same degree of devotion and energy that many professing Christians in this nation are giving to their relationship with Jesus, take that same energy, that same degree, and apply it to scaling Mount Everest, and could we reach the summit? Will indifference and apathy help anyone scale Mount Everest? And the answer is obviously not. No one could. No one would. No one would do such a thing without careful dedication, devotion, and determination. But unfortunately, and Scripture makes this very, very clear, scaling Mount Everest is a cakewalk compared to following Jesus with our lives. Why is that? Why? Because when you scale Mount Everest... You don't have people hating you and cursing at you along the way. You don't have family and friends abandoning you. You don't have weights of this world dragging you down the mountain. And you definitely don't have a supernatural enemy doing his best to try to destroy you every step of the journey. But in the Christian life, you have all of that and more. To which you're supposed to say, thanks for the encouragement, Pastor. But all of this to say is that following Jesus demands our everything. And unless we're willing to give him our everything, we cannot and we will not live the way Jesus expects us to live. We can't. I've tried, and I failed. Jesus wants us to live the same way that he did. Why? Why do we need to live the same way that Jesus lived? Because it's truth, and it's God-glorifying, and it's the right way to eternal life. That's why. Jesus knows what he's talking about. See, there's some who believe that when Jesus declared on the cross when he was dying, it is finished. If you remember, Jesus declared that on the cross. He said, it is finished. 
There's some that believe when Jesus said that, that he did everything for us so that we can just accept his free gift of eternal life and go back to our lives. But if that's true, guys, then we have to throw away most of the scriptures because they say the opposite. They say things like what Luke 9 says, pick up your cross daily, renounce everything, and follow me. If we hold anything back from Jesus, we're endangering our souls. Listen to it again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. Does that sound like everything's done? No, it sounds like it's just begun. We need to understand the cost and the reward of following Jesus because both are immense. The cost is immense, but the reward is so much more far immense than that. But we can't deceive ourselves anymore into thinking that if we follow Jesus on our terms, then we're on track for eternal life. That I'll follow Jesus, but I'll sort of make up my own path. I'll find my own way to the kingdom of God. Jesus, yours is good and all, but I think I can get there my own way. No one ever has and no one ever will. Guys, salvation, as we've mentioned before, it's free of charge. Salvation is free of charge, but salvation is the beginning of the Christian race. It's not the end of it. Okay, We, we enter the Christian race free of charge, but we run and we finish the race by giving up everything now for the sake of everything eternally from our Lord. I looked it up. Uh, any, Paul, you're also a runner. Paul is an adventurous guy, I'm learning. Paul, you're a marathon runner or have in the past. You've never run a marathon. Okay, but some in your family do. Okay. I looked it up. The Boston Marathon, which is one of the most famous ones, at least in our country, uh, is $200 to register for that race. Okay, anyone want to run the Boston Marathon? Okay, it's only $200. No takers? Okay. But what if someone said, hey, listen, I'll pay for you to enter the Boston Marathon. I'll pay the $200 registration fee for you to run the Boston Marathon. Or let's say because of COVID-19 in the year 2020, they're just going to waive the fee altogether. Anyone who wants to run, come and enter the Boston Marathon. Come on. No one has to pay anything. So imagine you hear that and you're like, okay, I'll give it a whirl. And so you're like, hey, it's free. The race is free. I don't, have to, I don't have to pay a thing. So you don't run the race, but when the race is over and they're handing out the trophy, you step up to the podium and go, let me have it. Give me the trophy. Come on. It's free, right? And the guy goes, well, I'm confused. You didn't run the race. And you're like, I know, but I heard the race was free. And the guy would say to you, well, it's free to run. It's free to enter. But you got to run. And you got to finish the race, in order to get the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said basically this exact thing. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and imperishable. He goes on to say, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
Paul knew that if he didn't run, and if he didn't run well, and if he didn't discipline himself, and if he didn't endure, and if he didn't run according to the rules, he wasn't going to finish. He entered the race free of charge, according to the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. But he ran the race, and he ran according to the grace of God, and he ran well, and he finished. If we can understand this level of commitment that Jesus and Paul is referring to, that following Christ demands our everything, then we're ready to start lining up behind Jesus or not. Because those are the two options. To line up behind Jesus and say, I'm in, or to say, I'm out. Like the Boston Marathon, I don't think I want to run. Uh, When I was in college, I had a professor say basically that at day one. Day one, he gave us a syllabus, and he basically told us, this class is going to be hard. I am a tough teacher. I have a high expectation for everybody here. My tests are going to be hard. This is not going to be an easy course. And then he said, if anyone doesn't want that, there's the door. That's what he said. And you know what was funny? One guy got up and left. He left. And I thought that was interesting. But the professor was basically saying to us, I don't want you disillusioned. I don't want you getting two or three weeks into this class and then saying, teacher, teacher, it's too hard. Can you make it easier? Can I drop the class? The professor wanted us to know straight away that this class was going to be difficult and we're going to need to discipline ourselves. And even Jesus did this, guys. Jesus not only taught this, but he did this. You see, Jesus wanted to love his God. Jesus wanted to love his people. And in order to do so, he had to give up everything in order to do that. If you have your Bibles, this one's not on the screen Go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, one we've mentioned a few times. It says, Have this mind, or think the same way, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Listen to this. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus doesn't ask anything of us that he wasn't willing and wasn't able to do himself. But listen to the rest of it. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is now exalted. But one time on earth, he went as low as possible. And he gave up everything. And when Jesus gave up everything, he literally gave up everything because he had everything. And it says he gave it up. He emptied himself. He became a servant. Why? So that he could do the will of God. So when he says to us, give up everything, you know he means it because he did it. If we're ready and willing to follow Jesus on his terms, then we're ready to learn and be instructed by him on how he wants us to live. And there's two encouraging things because I know this has been a little bit harsh, There's two encouraging things Jesus is going to mention to us today. The first encouraging part in this journey is that 
The Christian life all boils down to one word. One word. Love. The Christian life boils down to one single action. Love. And the second encouraging thing is that the Lord Jesus told us he's going to be with us every step of the journey. Okay, kind of like the... The guy, when you go skydiving, straps himself to you and you go down together. Okay, that would still be terrifying to me, but I'd be glad to know he's there at least. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you every step of the journey. You're not going to be alone. Anywhere you go, I will go first. I will be there. I will be next to you. I will provide strength and grace and help along the way. You won't be alone. And I want us to look at these two encouraging truths before we close today. Because if you want to follow Jesus, you simply need to be instructed on how to love. How To love. The two greatest commandments God ever gave man are all about one action. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love and love. Just two different objects. Love him and love them. Love. One action. One word. And Paul said the entire law of God can be summed up by love. Listen to what it says in Romans 13 verses 8 to 10. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The entire law of God is summed up in one single action. Love. Isn't that interesting? You can do God's law from A to Z with one action. This means that all we need to do is learn best how to love. That's it. That's the only thing we need to be instructed in the Christian life is how best to love. If we learn what love is from God's perspective and how to practice it, and if we practice that love for the rest of our lives... We are following Jesus on the path to eternal life if we love properly. So whether we're listening to Christ's teachings or we're watching and studying Christ's life, we're going to learn only, only about love. And I want you to notice the passage we began with was 1 John 2. I want you to listen as John continues in verses 7 to 11. He says, Behold, excuse me, Beloved, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you notice that? It's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. And it's the same commandment. Love. If you don't love, you hate. Or the way we're going to put it today is if you don't build up, you tear down. I'm going to have my son come up here for an illustration. Haddon, come on up here, buddy. We're going to do an illustration here today, okay? I apologize to those who are watching online. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this, but Haddon, we brought some blocks. 
guys can see these guys. Could, guys maybe have these at your home. Elijah, you guys got some of these blocks at home. These are called duplos, mega blocks, something like that. Okay. Had what I want you to do is I want you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, okay? And I want you to build the tallest tower you can in 30 seconds. Okay? You can do it right on the floor. If you need to see, just move your chairs. So I'm going to start the clock. I'm going to count to 30 and build it as tall as you can in 30 seconds. Are you ready? Okay. And your marks get set. Go. One, two, three, four, five, six. Build it tall. Seven, eight. Tall. Nine, ten. Tall. Not wide. Tall. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. It's going to fall. Twenty-one, twenty-two. 23, 24, oh no, 25, build it tall, 26, 27, 28, you're unbuilding the tower, 29, 30, let's keep going, 31, build it tall, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, okay, okay, that's good, okay, we did this at home and it was a lot bigger tower, so it's, it's the pressure, it's the public speaking thing. Um, Haddon gave 30 seconds to build a tower, okay? And this is the illustration. Uh, now I'm going to give you a different task, Haddon. What I want you to do now is I want you to tear that tower down, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds, okay? On your marks, get set, go. One. Okay, you're done. Good job. That was a lot faster. All right. Thanks, buddy. Clap for Haddon. That was a good job. Okay. My illustration is very simple. Thanks, Haddon. And it's this, building up takes a while. Building up can be difficult. Building up can have challenges. Anybody can tear down. Anyone, a simpleton, anybody can tear down. It doesn't take work to tear down. It doesn't take time to tear down. It takes a lot longer to build up. Maybe you guys remember 9-11. And I should have looked this up, but 9-11, those towers took years to build years, maybe five, ten years, maybe even longer than that, to build the World Trade Center. Those towers took a long time to build. How long did they take to knock down? An hour or two, flat, and they were down. John is saying, build up, build up. That is the entirety of the Christian life, is to build up. And if you tear down, you are not following Jesus Christ. See, Jesus lived his life purely for the love of God and the love of his people. Jesus, his entire life, built up. His entire life. Every action he made, every word he uttered, every motive of his heart was all about love. And his commandments were about showing us how to love or how to build up. And the question is, is what does love look like? And this is where it gets a little tricky because love is complex. Love is complex. Love is vastly different than the world's definition of love. You see, love, according to the world, is a blanket acceptance of people, no matter who they are and how they decide to live. I'll accept you no matter what you do with your time and with your life. But that's not God's definition of love. Do you know that? Because sin leads to death, and he knows it. 
God cannot and God will not accept a lifestyle that destroys the soul of someone he loves because sin tears down and love builds up. If someone is spending their life tearing down and God sees it, he recognizes that is the wrong way to go. And you could say, well, God, just accept me no matter what I do. And he says, no, I can't. I built you. I redeemed you to build up. And you're tearing down. So God often told people, Jesus often told people, they were wrong and they were in sin. But he did it with compassion. Why? Because he wanted to build up. He didn't want to knock down. He didn't want to rub their nose in their sin. Jesus was looking to build every single person up. But he had to tell them when they were wrong and when they were in sin. But love is complex, guys, and we don't have the time to talk about the depths of love today. We need the discipline that it takes to study the life and the teachings of Jesus so that we can learn best how to love, because all the commandments are doing that one thing, teaching us how to love. And that's going to take hard work, because building up takes hard work. It takes discipline. It takes endurance. And that means we all have homework. Again, we have homework. Discipline yourself to learn and listen to Jesus from the scripture. We have to scale the highest mountain and we can't have anything in our way or we're not going to make it. Guys, but love is the only commandment if we learn it properly. And love is the only action you will see from Jesus if you watch carefully. If we miss out on love, we're missing out on everything and we're accomplishing nothing. And I had TGD read that classic passage from 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul tells us that. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want you to picture like a middle school music class. Bang, 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 bang. He goes, that's what you sound like without love. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And you need to read the rest of that to learn how to love. So following Jesus is costly and it demands everything of us, but it's simple. It's one action. It's one job. Walk in love. Another book we looked at was Ephesians. Ephesians 5 verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God, or... What would Jesus do? Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first encouraging truth today is that following Jesus is simple. It's costly. It demands everything. But it's simple. It's one action. Love. And the second encouraging truth is that when we follow Jesus, he's promised to be with us every step of the journey. Listen to a couple passages on this topic. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or in my own words, if you desire to follow me in love, I'm coming with you. I'll be there every step of the journey. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is saying, if you need fellowship, if you need power, 
Come get it. I'm with you. Always. Jesus told us to follow him. Jesus told us to give everything to him. Jesus told us to walk in love. And now he's told us that he'll be with us every step of the journey. And as we close, I want to give you a small list of things that Jesus did while he was on the earth, okay? Because remember, the question is, what did Jesus do? What did he do? you got to learn his commandments, but you also got to watch what he did. What did Jesus do with his life? Every moment, Jesus was doing at least one of these things I'm going to give you right now, okay? At every moment, Jesus was doing at least one of these things on this list. And let's go through them together quickly. Number one, submit yourself to, to God's will. If you want to do what Jesus did, submit yourself to the will of God. John the Baptist, when uh, he was on the earth speaking about Jesus Christ, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Or Jesus, when he was in the garden about to die, said, not my will, but yours. If you want to do what Jesus did, submit yourself to the will of God. Number two, if you want to do what Jesus did, fight temptation and resist the devil. Because sin is the anti-love. Sin tears down. However we want to justify sin, every time we sin, we tear someone or something that God loves down. And that's frustrating. And God hates that. So we need to fight temptation. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? After 40 days with no food, the devil says, now is an opportune time to tempt him. And Jesus fought and resisted the devil, even in that circumstance. And he's telling us, do the same. Number three, surrender everything to God and call nothing mine. Everything is God's. Your life is God's. Your time is God's. Your money is God's. Your energy is God's. Your talents are God's. Your job is God's. Your family belongs to God. Jesus didn't call anything his. He said, everything is yours, God, everything, and I will submit myself to your will. Number four is stay humble and lowly in spirit and in service because only the humble will follow Jesus and only the humble will love. You can't have pride and love at the same time, can you? Only the humble, only the lowly, or the poor in spirit, as Jesus says, will be the ones who follow him in love. Stay humble. Stay lowly in spirit and in service. And number four, or number five, trust God's promises and fight with his power. And never waver. Because God has told us he is for us. Who can be against us? Trust God's promises and fight with his power. Number six is love sacrificially. That's a term I tried to teach my children, sacrifice. Sacrifice is when you say, you can have something instead of me. Jesus gave up his life so that we could have life. He loved sacrificially. And now he's saying, and we just learned it, love as I have loved you. How did you love us, Jesus? With sacrifice. Therefore, love sacrificially. And number seven, endure through trials and hardships and never abandon the path. Or in other words, don't quit until you finish the race. If you do those seven things, if you learn those seven things, you will follow the master. You will walk in love. 
you will follow Jesus to eternal life. Because everything Jesus says is right, and everything Jesus did was right. Let us learn, let us listen, let us obey, let us do exactly what Jesus does or did. For when we walk as Jesus walked, we have assurance of eternal life, and we prove that we know him, as John taught us. So real simple to finish this is, what did Jesus say, and what did Jesus do? Learn it. Remember it. Obey it and repeat. Can we pray? Father, thank you for teaching us this lesson. Thank you for the life of Jesus. He could have taught us from heaven. He could have sent someone down. But he came himself. He came himself to live the life that we need to live before us so that we would know the way to go. Help us to learn from Jesus. To fine tooth comb his life and his teachings so that we will know the proper way to go. Guide us properly. Keep us from error. Help us to walk arm in arm as a church body. And help us go the right way and finish the race that you've set before us, looking to the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus himself. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.